Hello, welcome to the PC Gamer UK podcast. My name is Sam Roberts. I'm joined today by uh, Phil Savage and Andy Kelly. <laughs> Sorry, the order me and Andy swaps <laughs> yeah, swap positions. Swap positions. And it's thrown the whole thing into turmoil. <laughs> it did confuse me. Yeah. Um, so we're all very tired today, but we're going to absolutely we're going to do an absolute banger of a podcast. Oh that's, yeah, that's my promise to you. Uh, we've built up a nice little community on uh, on Discord now. Um, thanks for setting that up, Phil, and yep. doing some good community management. Technically, it was the US team that set it up. We've just hijacked it. Well, it was very <laughs> it was very good of them to do some proper. community I haven't management. been in though yet. I should visit. Yeah, Hello. you're a legendary figure among our readers, Andy. Um, <laughs> from you know, because of your your fiery, hot Twitter content, you know that's uh, yeah. ev- everyone's kind of aware of that. <laughs> and uh, yes, um, we've got a bunch of games we're going to talk about today, including Resident Evil Seven, uh, Gwent, uh, which Phil went to CD Projekt Red to uh, play last week, and uh, Detention, which Andy has played a little bit of. And I'm kind of intrigued to just get a few more of his thoughts on that because his piece on PCGamer.com about it was very interesting. And um, Phil's played Elder Scrolls Online for some reason, and I'd like to find out what that reason Let's is. Let's dig into that. Uh, um, first, seeing as you mentioned the Discord channel, uh, I'll just mention that it is available at discord.gg slash PCGamer. Yes, it's good. It's like it's about uh, week on week. Just needs to be like doubling the amount of people going in there. So, yes, it's a it's a nice uh, UK centric community to talk about all of the nonsense we discuss in this podcast. So, get- just I guess uh, general PC gamer stuff. Yeah, yeah, yep. it's, yeah. It's it's we got so many questions on them this week that I don't I didn't have to put out a Twitter call out, which is great because the level <laughs> the quality of questions on Twitter was just garbage. Yeah. It's like, do I need to upgrade my graphics card? I don't know. What if do you G- think about <laughs> SSDs? <laughs> yeah, um... Exactly. If GTA Five is running at twenty five frames per second on high settings on your PC, get a new graphics card and leave me alone. That's <laughs> that's my answer forever on that. Um, okay, cool. So Resident Evil Seven then uh, from Capcom, first person sort of uh, soft reboot of the series, survival horror series, uh, but actually not that different um, from uh, old style Resi. I've played a bit of it, Andy. Played about the first hour now. Yeah, and uh, I like it. It doesn't. It doesn't actually feel that radically different. I mean, it's a, obviously there's kind of like cinematic set pieces that play out and. And the like, but um, it's even now it's settling into a bit of a familiar routine yeah. of like pick up items, solve this puzzle, that sort of thing. But you really enjoyed it, right? Yeah, I mean, you weirdly you're at the bit where it feels the least like old Resident Evil. The first hour is is very much um, inspired by sort of trendy modern horror games like Outlast and Amnesia. Amnesia is not modern, well, not new, but you know what I mean. That yeah, sort of yeah. Atmospheric first-person wander about a quickie house type thing. Yeah, not um, very interactive. Yeah. Yeah, but whereas there basically comes a point where the house that the game set in opens up, and you find yourself in the sort of main hall, and it's like being in the main hall of the Spencer Mansion. So mm. there's tons, there's doors surrounding it, some of which are locked with um, ludicrously themed keys. Um, so it's like they're animal keys. So there's a scorpion door. So you need the scorpion key to open the scorpion door, obviously. And it's a way of funneling you through the house and then in a specific order. And you go back to areas where you get a, you get the scorpion key and you think, oh, there's like three scorpion doors back in the house that I can now go back and open. So it's, that's very resy. Um, but yeah, like the when that stuff starts and when you get a weapon, when you get the shotgun, and a few bullets. It just feel, it really does feel like Resi One. It's hmm. the most e- even compared to. It's way more faithful to Resi than Resi Four was. Um, yeah. Because Re- Resi Four was like a bold sort of reinvention. It had some DNA of the old games, but really was a new thing. A lot more action packed and lot lots more about thinking about enemy behavior and controlling enemies and and learning the AI of each enemy and stuff. It was more of a combat game, whereas this is more exploration. 
solving arcane puzzles, slotting weird items in the weird slots, and and but with a bit of hiding from a sort of unkillable enemies, which is a bit reminiscent of Alien Isolation, where mm. the members of the Baker family sort of roam around the house, different areas of the house. Each sort of section of the house is owned by a different family member. So the first part of the house is Jack Baker, the father, who is um, this sort of He's terrifying, scary bastard, yeah, isn't he? terrifying, scary guy who can't be, who you can absolutely pummel him with ammo and sort of temporarily stun him, but mm. it's not worth it. The trade-off, it's that resi trade-off thing of, I've got all these shotgun bullets and Jack's coming at me. I can waste them all to stop him temporarily, but knowing that he'll come back or I can just run off yeah. and save the ammo, um, which has its own challenges. Um, a few times I did stop him just to, just to give me a bit of peace for a while because he will disappear for a while. Um, but there are like more regular enemies are introduced, which you might not have met yet. Oh, no, I don't think I have. The no. molded. I saw. Cult. I saw Jack. There's a very good moment very early on where you just see Jack lingering in the yard of yeah. the um, of the mansion, and that's uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's quite great. cool. It's it's good at those little. I mean, there's a set. There's a sort of flashbacks accessed by finding videotapes and putting them in a player, and it's like a you play the flashback, and there's a brilliant. The first one is brilliant because you can catch glimpses of a certain character. Um, just like in the corner of your eye, like 10 times. Um, someone on the internet mapped all these times that we see this character and it's like properly spooky. Where oh, cool. It's good at like teasing you with little glimpses of things, which is in a way quite unresy. Hmm. Um, it's taken a few cues from Silent Hill in that regard, where um, it will just sort of tease you, sort of whittle away at your nerves by giving you little flickers of things instead of just pummeling you with like zombies and zombie dogs. Hmm. Um, when the, when the molded get introduced, they're basically like the regular enemies that you can kill. Um, and it, that's when it feels a bit more like Resi 4, even though it's first person. They sort of lumber towards you, and you sort of slowly lift your gun up, and you've, uh, you've got second, every second counts, where if you get them in the head, you know, they'll stumble backwards, giving you time to fire another shot off. Um, but that's when it really feels like Resident Evil, when you're sort of plowing through groups of these molded, shooting them in the head with your pistol, and like defending yourself yeah um the, the developers did say in an interview that they wanted to take some cues from games like outlast and stuff like that and but but give you the power some power to fight back yeah um, which i think it needed if the whole game was hiding from the baker family um, i don't think it the game doesn't like alien isolation gets away with that because there's some like systems in there mm. and some scope for creativity and using items and gadgets in interesting ways whereas resi 4 is just guns like there's no and you can't even lean around corners that it's not really a, a, a sneaky stealth type game mm. but it has elements of that in there yeah i think it needed uh the, those traditional resi elements to just still be called a resident evil game yeah um just because uh, uh you know when resi 4 kind of reset that series it at least had the iconography of resi like these zombie like you know um people coming towards you yeah, and then herbs and leon yeah. obviously um whereas in this like there's not really much in the way of uh, I, don't know, I know there's some bits of connective tissue yeah, to the universe there's, there's but some it's, nice little subtle hints that only like really fans of the series like you find a newspaper article and it's written by Alyssa ashcroft yeah who is one of the playable characters in resident evil outbreak yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. an obscure reference that's really weird and yeah. there's a book written in the baker's like lounge written by the chief of that 
organization that Chris worked for in five. The oh B- yeah, BSBCSAAS. Yeah, whatever. yeah. Um, so there's like tiny little the send army men to Africa to yeah. kill zombies. Uh, organization. Yeah. So yeah. like, there's a book written by that guy about bioweapons. So there's like little clues like that. Um, there is. It's only in the. I won't obviously say any spoilers because people. Some people want to finish it, but the. At the very end, the connection to the other games is overt. It couldn't be more overt. Interesting. Like, it's really, it, it sort of it goes, the whole game, very subtly just references the old games, um, but at the end just hits you with a big old, this is part of this universe. Okay, that's moment. interesting. It's quite yeah. it's quite brave. Like it's um, because the like while some kind of like uh, proper horror games sort of you know find an audience like then none of them are really kind of monster hit blockbuster games um you know like even uh, even the likes of amnesia kind of have like a following on pc but not, you know resi's a series that typically sells like five six million mm. like to, to 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 change it this much is even just you know e- even if like um it's stylistically got some similarities it's still very brave and it's yeah uh, and i think they had to do that didn't they After yeah the, I mean, it's there will be defenders of all of the games in the series, but mm. it, it, most people will agree that like there's a, five and six is a downward slope in quality from four. Yeah, and I've seen that Revelations Two is kind of like continuing that line of those sorts of that type of yeah. subset of that Resi is, games. That's an intro, more of an interesting game than a really good one. Like it's a, it's got it, it's has a lot of elements that go back to the originals and mm. um, sort of up, this sort of has the ridiculous um, storyline and stuff of the older games that people seem to like but it was still to I saw a lot of people praising <clears throat> that quite a lot yeah. um, partially there were people saying oh it's you know it's really a, just an example of the episodic model done right and yeah. possibly if the best thing you can say about a game is it released well. It's yeah. not as interesting as you think. Yeah. So I, if a man who reviewed Hitman eight yeah. times. Hey. <laughs> I actually didn't. Um, I, I, I think in my review of it, I said that it, um, the episodic thing felt like they'd just chopped it, not a regular game up. Um, the cliffhangers never felt that um, natural. Felt yeah. like they just found a point to go, right, we'll cut the game here and then release a new one. But, I mean, like the raid mode in it is... Um, I know someone who's plowed like a thousand hours in a raid mode alone. Um, wow, that's how I feel about mercenaries on yeah. uh, in Resi 5 and 4 as well. It's supposed to be good. But yeah, it's like a spin-off. But this is back to the main series. And um, it, it is a massive change in a lot of ways. But yeah, just it, it's amazing how close it feels to the old games. Um, and the boss battles are just straight out of... You, the, you could transplant the boss some of the boss battles Nemesis. not all of them straight into um resi 5 like the, that you know sort of big mutating blobs with glowing yeah. eyeballs on them sort yeah. of thing. the big fleshy glowing yeah. weak point although there is one boss fight um uh with marguerite who's like the mother of the family which is really amazing it's in a, a greenhouse um i'll say no more because it's properly unsettling and mm, um, requires like some genuine tactical Thinking to beat her. That's good because I actually do think that Resi Resi as a series has some pretty pretty great boss battles. You know, yeah. particularly four and like um, some of fives are very very clever as well. But yeah. like um, yeah, the the fight with um, in Resi Four, I was remember in the barn with mm. um, what's his name again? Salazar? No, that was no, the not Salazar. Guy, basically, the rest of the guy looks at Rasputin. Yeah, yeah, basically his head pops off and a giant parasite pops out of it and it's like a, you're trapped in a burning barn with them I remember that being really good so yeah. it's a, there's a bit of that but I found the boss battles quite annoying a couple mm. of them had me 
swearing quite loud. Um, enemy variety is a, a th another weakness of it, where Resi 4, I think, has a, has a great range of enemy types and behaviours, which is part of the fun of it, especially when it like throws three different types of enemies at you, and you've got to do that on the fly, thinking of, like, you know, which one do I take out first? Mm. Um, there's only really three enemy types in Resi 7. Yeah. Not counting the Baker family, just counting these things, the molded. Um, three different behaviours. And it does... There are some interesting moments where it throws a couple of them at you, but... Yeah, the, the, that's the weakest part of it. Um, mm. The combat by the end, you're so familiar with the AI that they stop being scary towards the end, where you're just like, oh, I know what's going to happen now, that's going to pop out, and I just have to shoot it in the head, or, you know, stuff. It, 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 the sort of fear of the unknown drifts okay. away a bit. Um, for, but for the first three quarters of the game, that's its greatest strength, is not being able to anticipate what it's going to throw at you next, because there's a really good variety in, uh, of set pieces and moments, and I was really on edge, you know, sh gently, softly moving for the game, worried about what it was going to throw at me next until the very end, but it was like, I've got loads of shotgun bullets and I know what all the enemies are like and I just sort of blasted my way through it. But that could be by design. That, yeah. Uh, they want, as a reward for all that patient ammo conservation and sneaking, it's like, just go wild now and shoot some some damn zombies. Okay. But, oh, cool. Well, yeah. I'm definitely going to get through it. Um, mm. Yeah, I, uh, I do love the way the house looks and yeah. then they do that photogrammetry. Photogrammetry, yeah. Yeah, to... Yeah, mm. so everything looks incredibly realistic. Yeah, it's the same thing that Vanishing Ethan Carter uses, and it's also looks amazing. It's really like um, not intensive in terms of um, performance. Yeah, um, yeah. So the game runs incredibly well. Like um, even at, I was playing it at fourteen forty p or max settings on a mid range card, and it would run perfectly fine. So yeah, it runs fine on my very old seven eighty. Yeah, so yeah, super well optimized, um, which is great, obviously. Um, there was a, there was no. It's good to have a big game, a big anticipated game, come out on PC without a tech uproar. It just works. Yes, yeah. So you don't have to do a review in progress. You can just do a review. <laughs> yeah. That's and if you're a, listening and it didn't work for you, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but, but most, I think everyone I know has played it and had no problems with it. So it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I uh, appreciate your consideration, Andy. Okay. Then. Does cool. um. When you start it, is there still a man going Resident Evil? No, there isn't that. No. Yeah, that. Oh, fuck I this game. But there, it does <laughs> still have the nice save room music. Um, so when you go into a save room, it plays some like nice but slightly unsettling music, which has always been one of my favourite Resi moments. That um, that sort of solace of being in a safe room, and also if you if enemies are chasing you, and you run into one of these rooms with the tape recorder that saves the game. They will just melt away. Um, that's a good tip for anyone playing. Oh God, is like, do you actually have to find a resource to let you save? Still, is it like, no, or do you just no, have it? Yeah, it's an infinite tape recorder. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's a good tip if you're being chased <laughs> by molded and you just you're limping away with hardly any health. Find a save room and run in. They'll, um, it's protected by some sort of um, video game video god. game yeah. magic. Yeah. They, they'll they'll melt magic. away. So I'm playing on easy because I don't really fancy like because uh, because I, I heard that the boss battles are a bit shit. I didn't yeah. really fancy a massive struggle yeah, with them. I, see, I, I felt like I play most a lot of games on easy, but I found it quite. I found the balancing of the difficulty on normal really good. Okay. And uh, apart from one boss fight that, I, that, to be fair, I only had to try twice. Right. But that's yeah, enough yeah. for me to get annoyed <laughs> if I die once. Um, I thought it was pretty well balanced. So. Um, yeah, I wonder if you should maybe go back and start it on normal because it does maybe. make a few bits more tense, okay. but not in an annoying way. Like, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's um, you will still have a good time either way because the atmosphere and stuff is is aside from the difficulty. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I will. I will persevere. 
Okay, Phil, Gwent. You went to CD Projekt Red and played Gwent. Yep. How was that trip? It was uh, fun and quick, and uh, Poland's an interesting place, but I didn't see a lot of it. Yeah, press trips are usually like you you, you kind of take in uh, a city from inside a bus. Yeah, pretty yeah. much, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I remember when I, I went to CD Projekt recently, and their office is so weird because you're in like this really grey, like, like Daisy, Daisy post-Soviet. It is very Soviet, blocks, isn't it? And yeah, you walk it's in, a weird beige building. And yeah, and then it looks like a sort of game dev office in San Francisco or something like super slick and yeah. fancy, and like as a whole, a massive wall of magazine covers. And we were on there a few times. Okay, good. From a various um, coverage of their games, but yeah, it's it's like a, such a bizarre contrast, isn't it? Yeah, sure. Um, but Gwent, yes, specifically the Witcher card game. Uh, is this where I introduce my new weekly series where we dive into the specific meta of, <laughs> um, first of the over game? Phil was um, Phil messaged me uh, not long before we started recording, saying he's struggling to write his preview um, because he doesn't really. He wants to write it for people who don't really follow card I games. I find that card much. game coverage like incomprehensible a lot of the time. Yeah, like um, it's like you just have to be so invested in it to understand it. And uh, I just said to him, just say that there are some there's some cool card shit in it, and then and you know the the cards look awesome and it extension of the mini game, etc., etc. So, so anyway, yeah. Gwent, there's some cool card shit in it, right? <laughs> okay, um, good. <laughs> the cards look cool. <clears throat> yeah, they do actually. Uh, the premium so, cards are amazing, aren't they? Yeah, they're the all animated. Yeah, they're ones, animated yeah. and quite expensive if you want to craft them yourself. Like that's yeah. going to take some time. Do you but, mean in real life? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. craft animated cards in real <laughs> you life. You need to know is... actual magic to make yeah. them in real life. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, um, cool. So I guess like, if, if you're not that familiar with Gwent, um, obviously it was first introduced in The Witch Three as uh, this kind of fun little mini game that replaced. I think it was Liar's Dice, this sort of poker with dice thing that nobody really cared about. Yeah. But um, something about that, having this, this sort of card game within the world where you had to build a deck, meaning that you had an excuse to go around and talk to people and adventure and build your deck in like a very natural way that also lent itself to exploration, made for a really nice kind of sub-adventure within The Witcher. That's a really nice thing. Um, and through that it's kind of burrowed its way into my head i actually know know how to play it uh, which is always the problem i've had with things like hearthstone is that i just don't like them <laughs> when yeah. like trying to learn those things i find incredibly difficult because it always seems that your opponent has some way to fuck you up in the most like baroque way possible where, like, you play a thing, you think, I think I've got a good tactic here, let's play this card, and it turns out that they've laid, like, seven different traps that can fuck you eight ways from Sunday. And then a card that has, like, one attack suddenly has 12 yeah, attacks. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. Like, they've, oh, like, wow. been able to read your mind and, like, anticipate every... Yeah, that people play on... That's why I stopped playing Hearthstone, because people play on such a high level that it's... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was done with Hearthstone almost right away. Yeah. And I don't want to say that Gwent is uh, different in any way. Because um, so I've been playing the closed beta as well. It wasn't it wasn't just this trip. And like in one one round, I thought, okay, I'm playing my last card here. I have almost definitely got there. I've got like a twenty point lead over my opponent. So I play my card, and then he plays his, and it's a card that literally reduced my score to about five, bumped his up to sixty, and I was just like, well, fuck everything <laughs> in this world. <laughs> okay, video games are bullshit. 
Fair enough. Okay. So, I never understood that. Maybe you can explain this hmm. in simple terms. Uh, but in both the I've played the the standalone and the mini game. Yeah. The weather thing, I do not understand it. Is there a simple way to explain that in a sentence? What the weather system is? Um. So. No. <laughs> not, you, you, not in for, a sentence. You have um, for anyone that doesn't know, you have cards that are like weather that cat that mm. change the weather of the board. Yeah, there are a yeah. bunch of special cards that are based on like spells or effects. Uh, everyone has access to them. They're like a neutral card pool that um, you can put into your hand at any time. Uh, weather in weather's a slightly easier in the Witcher Three version. It's just when you're playing cards in Gwent, you play them to one of three rows. So you've got your melee, you've got your ranged, and you've got your siege. And it doesn't really matter what anything goes into, except there's you know a couple of rules here and there that mean that, for instance, if you play a fog card, that'll uh, set over your ranged row, I think. Ah, right, yeah. So um, modifiers. But, yeah, yeah, and uh, <clears throat> basically it reduces everybody's point total to one because of yeah. because it's like, oh, you're trying to fight through this yeah. debilitating effect. Um, they've changed it slightly in the standalone version where if you're, I think it's only the monster faction, but they can actually be buffed by weather effects. Uh, because obviously if you think about like the representation, like abstracted out to a scene in The Witcher 3 it's like, you know, you go into this foggy grove and monsters can sort of propagate through there and yeah. get to a disadvantage or like the wild because, hunt love a bit of winter yeah, exactly. don't they? Love a bit of uh, snow yeah. Yeah. and the wild hunt are part of the monster faction I think they probably do get buffed in snow effects yeah. which is the melee range uh, thing so yeah, in fact that's, that is what completely screwed me is uh <laughs> This guy from the monster faction played a card, a special like gold card, and you can only have like a couple of those in in your deck at any time. He played it, and that its effect was to put weather on every single row, which completely destroyed my entire deck and buffed probably about forty percent of his cards. I was just like, all right, well, I am as screwed as anyone has ever been in this game. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That card sounds a bit, um, that's going to get nerfed, isn't it? Yeah, they're changing weather <laughs> about a bit. Um, this is, I This is. I, I know we shouldn't be talking about the meta, but... No, it's fine. Please, um, please do. I was surprised. At, talking to CD Projekt Red, they were like, oh, yeah, currently like the high level of the community think that Northern Realms is too powerful because of how they can, like thin out their own deck by pulling cards out of it and stuff, which is complicated stuff I don't entirely understand. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the community thinks that monsters are the weakest faction. I'm just there going, I play Northern Realms, and I'm always playing against monsters, and they're always screwing me over in some <laughs> yeah. ridiculous way. So, mm-hmm. Hmm. See, there's already a hardcore community playing on a on the uh, an expert this level. Is it's not even out yet. <laughs> this is for sure one of Gwent's problems right now. Um, and it's something they're actually they're addressing in an update that's releasing uh, next week, I think, February okay. 6th. Um, which is that the casual matchmaking has not been great. So, I mean, part of my problem is I'm being placed against people who are like 10 levels higher than yeah. me. And you can up unlock card packs fairly easily just like winning a couple of games each day and you'll probably unlock like a keg which gives you five cards uh, so if you are you know level 15 means you've been playing long enough that you've probably unlocked a really good deck that you can use um, it makes like a big difference so actually tweaking that formula a bit uh, should kind of help reduce the number of ridiculous stompings that you have to experience um, it'll also help when you know obviously it opens up a bit and it's not just a few closed beats players in there yeah um, 
yes uh yeah uh I, i'd say like for people who are interested in playing it maybe keep an eye on a coming issue of pc gamer mm. out in march did you see any story mode no story mode still isn't uh ready to show they should be showing that like later this year yeah i, I interviewed the CD Projekt's principal narrative designer, whose name I can't pronounce because I'm a damn cultural ignoramus. Um, Matt, <laughs> I've always thought his of first name is Matthews, and I can't pronounce his second name because oh, I'm yeah. an idiot. But basically, he's a super talented guy, and he wrote, he wrote a lot of the great quests in Witcher Three. Yeah, I met him at Gamescom. He's yeah. very, very switched on. And man. he's, um, yeah, he's basically writing quests for um, Gwent, and he said they're taking the same approach and like as in giving each quest and making each quest meaningful in some way, and I like the idea that the, they're going to break away from the rules of the online game in single player and do stuff just to suit yeah. a campaign, which is cool. Like, And I think you do unlock cards as well for the uh, multiplayer you by will, playing yeah. that. But that that's what would get me playing Gwent, I think. I don't think I'd enjoy playing people online, but I'll definitely have a, enjoy a Witcher story with card it, battles. Is that in the closed beta at all? Uh, no. Okay. The single player just isn't ready to go yet. Okay. Um, like I say, they're, they're, like when it launches into open beta, I think it'll be launching with one of the campaigns, and then, you buy and the then there'll be like plans to introduce uh, campaigns down the line, and that'll bring in more packs. And I think there'll be like standalone like card pack releases. Mm. I think Hearthstone does something similar, where it's like some some up- updates are just here's a bunch more cards, and some are like here's a single player thing that you can yeah. go through and earn some cards uh, yeah I'm looking forward to all of that like, they could do some really interesting things within the systems um, I was quite enjoying the multiplayer partly because it, there, there's even less interaction than in Hearthstone with your opponent like you cannot say or interact or do anything to them they are just oh god yeah the little taunts and stuff yeah there's yeah. none of that oh, I, like, I like those I like how you can sort of have a try and have a conversation through like four emotes in Hearthstone you could definitely get salty though as well yeah that's yeah. it the first thing players learned was how to get salty in Hearthstone yeah, like <laughs> this, yeah they're, they're well done when you make a mistake yeah and, uh, yeah exactly yeah. Uh, all you can do in um Gwent is at the end send a little good game and that like gives your opponent a few extra crafting materials. It's a shame you can't well, just send good. them a picture of Geralt in the bath. That would be a good like. Uh, I mean, yeah. we, could, we could we could talk to them. We could see what they're. That yeah, should be yeah, an, got, an animated um, a premium card. That would be a, good. A bubbling bath, <laughs> steam rising. So um, <laughs> actually, uh, if so, if you are familiar with Gwent at all, like the thing I went to see specifically was the new Nilfgaard faction, which they're adding in next week. Um, and Nilfgaard was part of the Witcher 3 Gwent game, but they were like very similar to the Northern Realms, uh, too much to, to really support any kind of distinct playstyle within a multiplayer thing. So they've kind of reworked them completely. And it's actually quite an interesting deck cause it's all about uh, revealing cards in the hands of you know, you're both yourself and your opponent. And that ties into uh, other special cards, like there's a trebuchet um, that every, for every card you reveal, it just takes two points off your opponent somewhere. So it's worth even revealing your own hand just to get some more damage on them, which yeah. obviously you <clears throat> sacrifice, you know, it gives your opponent a bit of an advantage in seeing it, but it can also be really powerful. Is that because they're like, the Nerf Guardians are like spies or whatever? Is yeah, like, the, the other Espionage. thing they've got is all about, it's not just spies, because um, they've kind of reworked spies a bit in uh, Gwent because it was so powerful within like the single player version from The Witch 3 uh, that they had to nerf it a bit. But the idea of disloyalty is a big thing. So uh, there's a card called Fake Siri, um, who play, you play to uh, your opponent's side of the board, 
and she just sits on your opponent's side of the board, gaining power every turn. And then as soon as your opponent passes, because they've run out of cards yeah. or you know they choose to pass, she switches back to your <laughs> side. <laughs> and it's like a lot of um, a lot of the uh, cards that you have that damage other cards can only be applied to your opponent's side of the board. So you've actually got to get creative to try and get rid of her power and keep her for yourself. It is possible to do with some of the new cards. Letho, who is uh, he was like. The Assassin of Kings from The Witcher 2. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Witcher 2 Assassins of Kings. Uh, <laughs> he um, basically assassinates everybody on the row that you place him and draws their strength into himself. Uh, so, like, if you've got a fake Siri, if someone's played a fake Siri to you, you can play Letho onto that row, onto your own hand, and it just absorbs all the power and she can't switch back because she's dead. So yeah. that's cool how it ties into the. I mean, I'm sure Hearthstone does this as well, but it's cool how the card abilities tie into the fiction. Yeah, they are really trying to do that and yeah. like actually think, okay, well, what makes sense for this specific person within the mm. fiction? And a lot of it is kind of like, oh yeah, that famous trebuchet from the stories <laughs> that did two damage whenever somebody <laughs> pointed out some information. But <laughs> what a great character. Hey, but sounds, I, I mean like some of it is actually pretty good. Like some of it yeah. is quite clever should, the way they've done it. There should have been a bit in The Witcher 3 where Geralt romances a trebuchet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah so just the sort of beautiful lovemaking scene of him sort of riding this giant weapon, <laughs> siege weapon. Maybe oh, I'll, I'll keep that for my slash fiction. Yeah, fling me to Mil Nilfgaard. Hey, it could make it. <laughs> it could make it into the um, into the the Gwen campaigns. You never know. Yeah, <laughs> get, get tossed off by a trebuchet. <laughs> yeah, this has gone in a weird direction. Moving on then. Um, oh wow. So uh, so if you were wondering where today this week's episode title came from. <laughs> Okay, good. Uh, yeah, so if you like Gwen, keep an eye on the issue of PC Game out in uh, early March because uh, there'll be some some cool stuff there for sure. Um, yep. Okay, then. Uh, Andy, Detention. You played this a few weeks ago. Taiwanese horror game. Yeah. Um, Ooh. Yes, yeah, a 2D sort of adventure-looking thing. Yeah, it's like a point-and-click adventure, basically, um, developed by a small team in Taiwan. And, um, yeah, it's really weird because, you know, games aren't often set in Taiwan, for one, but it's also set during... a in the 60s when the country was like um, under martial law and it was like a really politically turbulent time um, but that doesn't really it, factor, it does actually factor into the story quite a lot um, but it's not it's mainly just a horror game and it's um, incredibly beautiful hand-drawn artwork um, it's a bit like um, it reminds me of like Junji Ito the oh, yeah. um, Japanese horror uh, manga artist it's got that kind of um, slightly eerie haunting look to it and um it's uh, sort of it starts with a some a lad in a class and he um, falls asleep at his desk and he wakes up and the school is empty um, and basically weird shit is going down in the school and he can't right. leave it um, so it's kind of you wandering around the school and it's very uh, I I wrote a, a thing for it for the website and I said that it's it reminded me it evoked the the old Silent Hill games more than anything I've played in a while. That's um, it's got the same sort of mood and tone and there's a lot of going between rooms and solving puzzles and um, more than Lone Survivor. Yeah, it's similar to that as well. It's very it's in structure wise it's quite similar to that oh, as okay. well and to home as well, that other indie horror game. Um but you can't uh, attack enemies. Um, you have to hold your breath when you see them and walk past them. Obviously, you can only hold your breath for a certain amount mm. of time, so it's about timing. And then um, that's all based on uh, like uh, Taiwanese folklore. Um, so everything ties into that um, real-world folklore and history in a really interesting way. Um, 
but yeah, it's just a, it's a the it's quite a standard point and click game, and the puzzles are very old survival horror PS One survival horror style, and um, but it's just really nicely made. It's got a sort of polish that you don't often get from uh, indie adventure games, and it's just yeah, it's just really moody and atmospheric. The music's incredible. It's clearly inspired by Akira Yamaoka music. Um, it's got that mix of like ambient dreaminess and like grinding, yeah, like guitars and then like grinding industrial horror music. Um, but yeah, it's I, th- I think it's like six or eight quid on Steam. Yeah, it's not um, a And it's just a it's like five or six hours long, and it's just a really well made horror game, and it. Um, with some quite shocking moments in it that, and you play as two characters and the story's quite interesting and sort of learning more about the school and it's got a sort of dark dark past to uncover mm. and that is, yeah, it's an, an interesting game that if you like horror or point and click games, you might want to have a look at. Yeah, yeah. January ends up being a weirdly good time for horror games yeah. um, because releasing them around Halloween is just too hackneyed, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. I wonder if we'll hear about an Evil Within sequel this year. Um, oh, potentially it seems like it's probably about time I um, started um, playing that actually for the I've bounced off it three times so, but Resi 7 I struggle with it a bit actually yeah it made me want to sort of want more of that type of thing and I, I've bounced off it again <laughs> really? so, yeah there's just always get to this certain point where it, there's, there's a sort of um, fight with a chainsaw man oh, that's exactly where I stopped actually yeah it's really tedious it's like, just a really bad fight well, I don't be. This where, is where he's tied up, and you've got to yeah, and then afterwards you go, and, there's a gate that you have to get open. Yeah, yeah. that's where I, I stopped actually. Yeah, yeah. I, think I've, I think I've stopped there three, four times now. There's something that just it, it, I think I died, and I realised I had to go through the whole bit again. And it's just right. grueling, and it's an impressive kind of like mini little sandbox, kind of horror sandbox that area. But yeah, like, it should um, be more, should be better than it is. But yeah, I, I don't know. The, hmm. the, the atmosphere as well is quite, it's quite cold and hard to like the characters or that's a yeah. big part of it i think is like as daft as resident evil 4 is it's actually quite 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 warm characters mm. oddly and obviously it's got that slight slightly sincere cheesy yeah. quality to it whereas this melodrama where it's just that that guy i don't care about sebastian, sebastian castellanos yeah yeah one bit <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of syllables in one name you know it's, yeah, it's uh, yeah i, I I wonder. I wonder if I'll ever try it again. Oh, that's it. Four times. Is... I think four times is. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's not for me. You've given it is fair. You've given it fair dues. Like. Yeah. But like, um, no. I hear that. Like, uh, a friend of mine says that what happens to the the place where you save that sanitarium place yeah. gets really messed up to the point where you actually start to fear saving the game. And that made me want oh, to play. That sounds it. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, want to play it some more. Apparently, it becomes gradually more and more twisted each time yeah. you go there. Um. Anyway. Yeah. Cool. Um. Okay. Then. So. Um. Phil, we have oh, one God. final game to discuss. Let's do it. You you made the mistake of telling me you've been playing Elder Scrolls Online, and yeah. I thought and I thought why Phil why? Mm. Um, because uh, it's one of those games where like you hear from MMO enthusiasts that it's gotten better, but these are people who play MMOs all the time, and and like I still don't ever really believe it's going to get to the point where it's like playing Elder Scrolls Six but online. Um, but but how's your experience been of it? Um, the recent, well, I guess you were playing Tambriel Unlimited, the current iteration of it, yes. right? Yes, yeah, yeah uh, with its one Tamriel expansion, whatever that means, or update. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, it's not like playing the Elder Scrolls Six. It's still very much an MMO. Uh, but actually what annoys me more is all the ways it tries to be the Elder Scrolls Six and how that doesn't work within an MMO structure. Right. Like, it's got all of... Ain't, it looks a bit like an Elder Scrolls game, and you can do all the things that you can do in Skyrim in terms of like the, the combat is 
it has some hot bar stuff, but it's specifically like if you've got a bow, you shoot a bow at people. If you've got daggers, you just go up and slash away at them, and it's just mouse clicks like it would be in a in a real game. Right. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's me being deliberately facetious. <laughs> Very good. I should stress that it is actually a game. Um, and that's all fine, kind of. It's just... The, the things you're doing that to, the actual enemies, just behave like an, any enemies in an MMO would. Like, they've got those very specific basic AI, you know, they, they you get within a specific radius of them, and they just run at you, and there's no mm. real, like, I, I was I made the mistake of trying to play, do what I do in a, you know, Elder Scrolls game, which is get a bow, uh, go sneaking around, and it's just that, that kind of build is not set up for I mean the whole point of doing stealth in Skyrim is that you know you take someone out with a bow and like you almost instantly destroy them with one hit because you manage to sneak up to them and land a shot whereas everything has like a standard MMO health bar in this and even if you're doing critical hits that's only like a small percentage on top of your normal damage so a lot of it is just spamming the attack while they kind of slowly run at you and it's like well this is not this is not really the experience I was hoping for yeah. and compare it to something like World of Warcraft or Guild Wars 2 I mean they're hot bar driven combat <laughs> games but they very specifically work at, within the MMO template like that is a combat style that just works there and you can still have quite a lot of dynamic movement within that because they because they are so specifically scoped to the type of genre that they are it just feels much more dy dynamic and interesting mm. um like there there is i've noticed kind of trend among mmo fans that like oh direct combat is more skill based and is better than just you know pressing the keys on the hot bar and it's like well no no, like I don't know if that is often the case. Like especially within like the sort of latency issues and problems that you can have, just just the technical issues within making an MMO. Like you can do something with within like basic hotbar actions that it feels more tactical and interesting than than is the case here. Also, the quest design is not great. Right. Uh, certainly early on. And um, actually, I had a bit of a turning point playing it last night where I just sacked off what I was doing because it was incredibly boring. And I just loaded up the um, Dark Brotherhood DLC. Yeah. And that is, like, just infinitely more interesting okay. straight away. Uh, you go to Anvil from Oblivion. Um, it's like this little area with Anvil and Kavach before it was burnt down in in Oblivion. Mm. Um, you know they're not they're not particularly impressive representations of those areas as they are in you know Oblivion. But yeah. it's you know you got to forgive that. It's modeling trying to model like a huge chunk of world rather than just this one area. Yeah. Um, and they give you a specific skill that lets you. Um, take out enemies instantly if you manage to creep up behind them okay. which is just a more interesting interaction right there um like uh, one of the <clears throat> one of the things i like about skyrim and oblivion is like the way that it balances its rpg side with its immersive sim side and it lets you do you know there, there are interesting stealth challenges within that even you know as its systems can be a bit messy because of how sprawling uh you know skyrim is yeah and there's a bit more of that. So I did like one one like uh, quest line, which was to kill some guy in a mansion, which is pretty standard stuff. And admittedly, a lot of it was running, you know, sneaking through corridors, killing guards. Um, but it just, it, I don't know, it recontextualized that action in a much more interesting way. Uh, so I'm like persist with that but i've not really any inclination to sort of return to like the main path of the story right 
Okay. Isn't the, um, the one Tamriel update, this, I, someone was talking about this and it made me want to go back, is the idea that you're no longer restricted to your races, starting your race, so you can explore the world freely as in a regular Elder Scrolls game. No. Is that I mean, <laughs> that's, what, that's kind of what they're saying. But there are... Uh, okay, so... I think the old structure of the Elder Scrolls, which you do your, you know, you do your entire uh, factions quest line, and I think you'd pick one of the other factions and do that entire quest line, and then you do the third quest line, and then you'd essentially complete it or whatever. Um, now you can go to any, like you've got a teleport thing that'll let you go to any of the starting towns of any faction, and you can just, yeah, you can move through, and the scaling is such that you can move to later areas, uh, and it's fine. But so I was like, right. Okay, I'm not actually enjoying what I'm doing now. I'm going to go to Riften. I'm going to go see what Riften looks like in this version of an Elder Scrolls game. Uh, and I ran a long route all through... Um, it was a different faction I had to teleport to. I ran like, a long route through their starter zone and their, sort of, like, their, their main big first zone. And then I got to a door. And then I remembered when the beta... Uh, I'd actually done this faction uh, when I was playing it for like a beta preview. Um, and the only way to unlock that door is to do a lot of the quests that lead up to it. What? Uh, so you actually can't... So it's uh, gated if then. I'm remembering it, that if I'm remembering it correctly, yeah. that area is gated until you do a certain quest ah. chain. Uh, and you, there's just no getting past it. And I was like, yeah. I've done that quest chain once in the beta and I hated it. Like, I yeah. absolutely hated it and I'm not mm. doing it again. That's, so That's that's dampened my... Um... Oh, dear. <laughs> so, yeah, it seems like there is, like, just, you know gates in place so I mean you can go anywhere but you can only go anywhere in terms of where where the questing system would allow you to anyway kind of so it does have another major expansion coming up right yeah they announced Morrowind yesterday yeah so that's uh, adding oh actually I don't don't know what I can say about it actually Um, because we do have a preview of it in a coming issue Mm -hmm. um, where we say more about it but like uh, that is embargoed I believe until the second so I can't say anything about it but yeah it's um yeah, should should at least yield some interesting uh, results. And, Possibly. Uh, yeah, you can read about it in the next issue of PC Gamer. I, yeah, yeah, I'm probably gonna, you know, muck about in the Dark Brotherhood a mm. bit, and then maybe I'll try the Thieves Guild a bit. And like, it's possible that those, I mean, those guilds would are usually the most interesting part of any Elder Scrolls game, anyway. So maybe it's quite fitting that they're the most interesting part of this. Well, but... It sounds like they're getting closer to. Finding interesting ways to use. Yeah, the I guess. Like um, of... talking about it on Twitter, I think Rich Cobbett message. I was, I was chatting to him about it, and he said like it does get more interesting later on. Like the, the it's the typical MMO problem. Like I, the Elder Scrolls Online is not the first MMO to have a bad first ten hours, like right. with uninteresting quests and kind of shonky combat. But you know, um, okay. Given that I have no obligation to play it because I'm not actually doing a review of it or anything. Yeah, this is like, for funsies. I can just stop at any time. Just walk away, Phil. Yeah. It's fine. Okay, good. Well, um, well, well. Thank you for talking us through that, Phil. Um, you, you, you're not obliged to play it anymore. No. For uh, what, what I will purpose. say is it's uh, quite a good thing to watch if you know you watch like five hours of wrestling every week. <laughs> a fine thing to have on the second screen i still think you deserve a better class of uh you know distraction but hey um it's uh the yeah. quest continues then. We, get, we get we get a good insight into your personal life there what you do in your spare time which uh which is interesting too you know um okay cool uh so we've got quite a lot of questions this week um we've got two uh, these are all from our uh discord channel they're all very good um so thank you for, for putting those in there um 
I really enjoyed, this is from Fluid Druid, I really enjoyed that dropping the moose statue on Klaus Strandberg in Hitman's Marrakesh level earns you the achievement of Room with a Moose. Do any of you guys have personal favourite non-gaming references or Easter eggs in games? Um, and oh, yeah. I did, I did, I, I realised I should have thought about this before I asked the question. So we can always come back to that one. Okay, uh, so I've, I yeah. did think about it a bit, um, and it's actually really hard to come up with non-gaming references. Games love to reference games, but yeah. Yeah. they're less... Um, the, the, the only thing I can really remember is Just Cause 2 has an island. Uh, the Lost when, Island. The little Lost Island that when you go near yeah. it just downs your plane, plane yeah. which is fun. <laughs> and it has it's a, quite a good little joke. It's got a hatch in there that you can't do anything with. Help Britain on the beach. <clears throat> yeah, that yeah, was quite cool. cool. I think Just Cause 3 has uh, Thor's hammer inside a volcano as well. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's, there's a nice one. There's a nice subtle one in uh, Alien Isolation where there's sort of a long-standing fan theory that Blade Runner and Alien share a universe and mm. Um, you find an origami unicorn and alien isolation in someone's locker. That's quite cool. Um, Duke Nukem as well, like when you uh, when you go into some sort of hidden chamber and uh, it's in like a tomb and you see Indiana Jones pierced on a spike <laughs> and he Duke oh, says yeah. something ridiculous, some corny one-liner about Indiana Jones. I can't remember what he says. Oh, no, doesn't he say, like, I've been expecting you, Mr. Jones, or something like that, but yeah. That's a good example, actually, that, yeah. That's, there's tons of jokes like that. But, um, I'm there... not saying that's a good one, but it's one. It's one I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't there a uh, Star Wars reference in Fate of Atlantis as well? Just on the uh, Indiana Jones tip. Yeah, is there a secret room or something. Or, oh, I'm, or something. I, I, yeah. something. I don't want to go into that without any specifics. But um, I think it's hard for games to do that sometimes because they might step on some um, IP toes and by being too overtly ref, like, referencing yeah. um, non. That, but there's probably tons more examples, but it's hard to. Well, I guess that, like them the entire game of Deadly Premonition is yeah. basically built on Twin Peaks. Alan, Alan Wake actually has some quite nice Twin Peaks kind of like bits here and there. Mm, yeah. Some that are overtly uh, obvious, like yeah. the um, the lamp lady instead of the yeah. log lady, for example. <laughs> yeah. Creepy um, lady with a lamp. <laughs> yeah. but the fact that you basically do just walk into the double R diner at the start yeah. of the game, and you know that's that sort of stuff's <clears> cool, I guess. Um, okay, cool. Um, there was a good discussion in last week's podcast about how well or not the new Hitman would have worked as a standalone game as opposed to its chapter-based release. I think that some of its early levels are the best. Are there any games that you think peaked too soon or even any that had their greatest moments too late on where too few players would have experienced them? Well, too late on. Uh, every MMO that has ever been made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you really do have to grind through Listen, some. Um, Final Fantasy 13, a famous one where people go, oh, huh. it opens up uh, 20 hours in. And, yeah. And, it sort of yeah. does, but not really. Like, um, you are in a big field, but then you, about five hours after that, you're back down a corridor. So, yeah. yeah. But then um, I, I actually, I still quite like Final Fantasy 13. So, so do I. Um, How did we not a... mention this during our controversial opinions talk of that, last week? It's, like, a very, it's a very Liking good point. Final Fantasy 13 is way worse than liking Dragon Age. Too, yeah, it's... yeah, I think I suppose so. Yeah, there's um, quite a lot of games that are front loaded in the sense that they have all the best ideas at the start and then just it used, yeah. used to be an entire model of releasing <clears throat> games was like the shareware thing where you'd put all yeah. your best ideas into the free episode one just so and sort of phone it in a bit on episodes two onwards. It's just a, yeah, oh, like it, the original Doom is very front loaded, I find. I mean, Doom 2 is a lot more even, but yeah, <sighs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's a bit controversial to say this, but like, I the origins aside, I've been playing Dragon Age Origins this week, oh, yeah. and that has got that's got a really weak like a first like eight or so hours. Like, but I mean, actually, even then, when you get to the um, you can when the game branches off and you can go recruit the different factions yeah. using the Grey Warden treaties, 
They're quite, they're quite boring. A lot of Orzammar, them are a bit, mm. and that's the game basically. That is most of the game, isn't it? Like Orzammar and uh, I, I like Orzammar itself. Tower. I actually think it's a lot of fun. Like it's a nice. There's, there's a lot of political intrigue there. It's a good, particularly kind of if you're actually from story there. Story well. to get dug into, I think. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's one of those where yeah, there's two <laughs> warring factions, and there's no like they are both assholes in very specific ways, and it's like okay, well. You know, the, you can. I could see someone making either choice here. Yeah, and also, um, um, I actually played as a, a dwarf in my latest okay. playthrough, and you get exiled by one of the factions. So, base and your brother takes over and betrays you. So that's that was also quite cool. pretty interesting. But then yeah. there is a lot of time in the deep roads. Yeah, I think like I think that that game suffers from being way too much bad combat. And like the thing you want to get to is the lands meet where it all comes together, and then there's the final fight with the darkspawn. But like. I'd say there's a lot of redundant hours in that where you have to actually go looking for the good bits. Yeah, I mean, if, uh, so yeah, the, the, the deep roads is bad because it's like, the deep roads. Well, likewise. The fade and a lot of the towers. I mean, I guess the tower would be fine if you were just battling through it. Like, uh, the it's combat a, bo- it's a boring area, though. It's not amazing. No. <laughs> uh, but then you've got to do the whole annoying crap in the fade. And it's like, oh. I suppose like Hinterlands is another example of don't put all your boring stuff at the start. You know, mm. and the reverse. But at least uh, Origins had the Origins, which were you know pretty yeah. good in yeah, most cases. Like they're all pretty good little short stories. Yeah, um, Fahrenheit is a game that um, the opening Starts of Fahrenheit so well, is brilliant. Yeah. Where you think, and they uh. released that as the demo as well. That bit where you have to clean up a murder you committed before a cop comes in and catches you is great. And then the and then you play the as the cop yeah. looking at the murder scene, yeah. and that's just that's so yeah, such a cool little but idea. Then the, I mean, I still I. I even though Fahrenheit is, is objectively probably garbage, I love it because it's so absurd. And oh, Andy, um, your your video uh, was it the absurdity of? Oh uh, yeah, um, if you search YouTube for the madness of Fahrenheit, um, yeah, you'll probably find a video I made where I, I was playing the game and I just started recording all the mad moments and I just cut them to some <laughs> some Johnny music. It is it is hysterical because there are bits where he's chased by hallucinations of bugs yeah, and, and uh, angels and yeah, the internet. There's some there's yeah. some like uh, bad racial stereotypes in that game too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah I put them in the video as well for you to enjoy so it's, and then there's like the whole yeah like Andy says it is absurd like I think once you get to the bit where if you play the guitar well enough your ex will sleep with you yeah it's like okay this probably needs to not be on my hard drive anymore the, um, there's so many fun things to talk about in that game but I won't ramble on but I do like the the depression meter that if it gets too low you kill yourself and and, and, it, and there's no um weight applied to things that can make it go down so it, it can be something like a you know a tragic moment can make it go down or like the vending machine not working <laughs> <laughs> kill yourself because the vending machine yeah, doesn't work drops your um, stress down by or like know. i think carla's like uh claustrophobic so when you're in the basement it kind of keeps going down so yeah. she could just kill herself from going into <laughs> yeah. a basement and having a bad time God, what a mad indulgent mess of a game but I'm still glad it exists I've yeah, probably yeah. played it like I finished it like four times I think it's just, it's <laughs> really? Some, yeah, wow. it's just something that's really weird yeah. <laughs> four times yeah. well, just across various platforms it was the first bit of writing I ever did for PC Gamer actually like probably 12 years ago I remember being in the pub with then editor Tim Edwards and going telling him these things like oh you punch the internet and <laughs> And, the inter- and, and he was like, "You got to write about that for PC gamers." So, that's my foot in the door. That's uh, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's uh, it's certainly uh, you can always get a, like a quid in a Steam sale. So it's almost worth just playing just for the intro yeah. and to see how weird it gets. Um, you got any more examples, guys, or like uh, stuff where like the best things are hidden away? I don't know. Um, Phil, you quite like some of the later Hitman levels. That's a, that's a <clears> point. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I thought actually Hokkaido was like up there with Sapienza as one of the best levels yeah. of that thing but 
certainly, like, the, the uh, there's definitely a mid-season slump where, you know, Marrakesh and Bangkok are all right, but there's, you know, nothing too special to them. They're just... They're vaguely interesting areas that don't necessarily represent the place that they're in that well. Yeah. I mean, Bangkok especially. It's just a hotel, and the fact that it's in Bangkok is very superficial. And Actually, um, Bioshock really gets quite lame towards the end when you're running through mm. that. Was it Hephaestus or whatever, the power-generating bit? I remember just running through that at the end and going... I'm bored now. I just want oh, to the whole the like, and you fight the blue man grip. Yeah, well, yeah, one of the blue man. The, grip. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The whole like escort mission part of that as well. Like, the, yeah. like actually, you know, the, the thing leading up to the escort mission. Are we allowed to spoil Bioshock at all? Yeah, it's fine. I'm going to spoil <clears throat> Infinite in a minute, so you know. Sweet. Go like actually turning yourself into a big daddy is yeah. a really sort of atmospheric sequence, and then just having to go through corridors with a little yeah. sister is actually quite tedious and annoying. Well, I would say that everything in Infinite, from when you fight the ghost of Elizabeth's mother, oh, that was to the end grueling. of the game. Yeah. Like, apart from maybe the airships, I actually found the airship fight, like that last battle, incredibly annoying. Yeah, I hated yeah. that. As like, well. there just seemed to be so many like weird mechanics in it that were badly mm. explained and but all, all the stuff with all the stuff with the ghost is rubbish. That's a bad fight, and yeah. then. Then all the stuff afterwards where you fight those guys who come back to life, but they have no loot. And then there's that guy with the big uh, trumpets on his ears who, who called the boys oh, of yeah, silence. Yeah. yeah. They, I think they must they have had such a much a big bigger deal about them. Yeah. yeah. And then they just have cut it out or something. Yeah, I would say mm. so. I've forgotten about that whole section. You just sneak yeah. through yeah. an orphanage, don't you? Yeah. Avoiding them, and then it's the end of the game. Yeah. Much. yeah. I, I, it's almost like uh, Infinite has like two acts of uh, a game. And then the last act, I would say, is probably Burial at Sea. Like, you need to kind of play them as a piece I think um, although a lot of people hate Burial at Sea as well so uh, no I don't know I can't think of many games though where they it's boring at the start Final Fantasy is probably the most famous example mm. um, but uh, yeah okay I'll move on to the next question then simple question what are your favourite films I'm aware Andy enjoys films such as Blade Runner and Glengarry Glenn what Ross whatever gave him that idea <laughs> that constantly talking about my, my scant handful of cultural touch points that I constantly many, refer to how many times have you seen Glengarry uh, Glenn Ross it's so so many like uh, whenever I take my laptop on a train or whatever, I bring like a bunch of films on a USB stick, yeah, and yeah. I always just watch Glengarry Glenn Ross. <laughs> it's just it's one of those films that I've watched so much now that I see it like like Keanu seeing the Matrix code. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm noticing like every little nuance of it. I just love it. It's, it's and it's quite every, short as well. Every thread on Kevin Spacey's jacket. <laughs> yeah, I've just become obsessed with noticing like sort of um, color schemes that the directors put in and all that. So it's it's quite a, it's it's yeah. I should probably write some sort of mad big. Paper about it or something. I yeah, know I so much so. about it. Picture to film or but something. Yeah, basically watch Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross if you haven't. It's brilliant. <laughs> I've actually never seen it, so oh, it's yeah. really good. Just okay, watch well, it. Oh, yeah, don't necessarily watch it 10, 20 times. But. I mean, I, my thing is, Andy, I really trusted your opinions. So you told me you, played, you completed Fahrenheit four times, <laughs> and now I'm like, now I'm not sure. That was mostly out of just morbid fascination <laughs> with how, how did this happen? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, okay, um, the atmospheres of which he says inspires his fondness of certain game styles. I'm interested in seeing what the rest of the team would say. This doesn't necessarily uh, relate to games as much, so feel free to disregard if it's not suitable. It's fine, Ronda. We don't, we don't talk about. I mean, we talk about last week. Phil put in a bit about me talking about Scampy on the podcast. So, so is it kind of about like, yeah, because like liking Glengarry Glen Ross and Blade Runner definitely informs, probably informs my yeah, love your of taste. like noir games. Well, so I guess. Yeah, I got. I, I've, I mean, my film choices are really obvious, to be honest. Like. Uh, Apocalypse Now, Blade Runner, um, L.A. Confidential. It's one of my favourite films. Yeah. I've probably seen that about ten times, actually. Um, uh, Zoolander as well. <laughs> I, I love that's Zoolander. A br- that's a brilliant I've film. I've got time for that film. Yeah, it's yeah. It's one of Ben Stiller's 
highlights. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I, some acclaimed, very acclaimed European director. I, I done it. I can't remember who it was. Now was saying it was like masterfully constructed. Um, who was that? Damn it! It was a director of Paris, Texas, I think. Anyway, um, so yes. Uh, I, Phil, what about you? Um, good question. Uh, okay, so one of my favourite films is probably Oh Brother, Where Out? Art Thou? Oh yeah, mine too. Is, I love it. Uh, mm. Like the music, the atmosphere, the everything about that film is amazing. Yeah. Um, Children of Men. For the, um, uh, yeah. Weird ass Clive Owen. It's quite, quite video gamey as well, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah the it last is. scene, um, um, that that big one shot, long shot, is uh, quite video gamey. I would, like a, yeah. yeah. I would actually say that all uh, most of my, I think Apocalypse Now and Blade Runner are both quite video gamey. I mean, yeah. Blade Runner is basically a series of boss battles, and like, um, quite, it's like a point and click adventure <laughs> with, um, as he walks around looking for clues. And, yeah, and, and then there's a boss fight. Yeah. Um, Apocalypse Now is basically divided into levels as well. So you have got the Playboy Bunny level, you've got the Killing the woman with the dog on the boat level. Yeah, you've, got, yeah, the, um, the you've got the river, which is the hub, and then from that, is, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've always thought it would make a great game structure. Although they should probably leave out the level where you sit and have dinner with some French people for an hour. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's DLC. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Phil, I interrupted you. No, no, it's fine. It's uh, yeah. Just now thinking about DLC that makes the game worse. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, what else? Uh, I quite like westerns as well. Like The Unforgiven is an actual classic uh and the good and the bad and the ugly which is less kind of informed and interesting mm. but it's just like it's very well done be you know movie type stuff yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So how do how do those films what is there any games that you love because they remind you of one of your favorite films i guess that was the kind of i i suppose like the the unifying thing of my films is that their color palette is quite interesting like mm. um blade runner la confidential um and Apocalypse Now all use uh, colour in quite interesting ways in terms of whether it's, you know, establishing a kind of period style or making or just kind of making a world seem quite trippy or, you know, obviously the the um, cyberpunk aesthetic of Blade Runner. Like, those... I think a lot about colour palette when I'm playing games and how colour is used to evoke certain things. And I'd say in terms of, like, my, my perception of video game art direction, which I, you know, I really kind of, like, you know pride in games that's uh, that's probably where it's been the most influential uh, Zoolander I, I can't explain to be honest <laughs> <laughs> jokes are good I don't yeah. know um, yeah, yeah I guess that sort of like thematic cohesion is a um, it, it's a thing that's often missing in games like uh, because they are quite long and uh, there's a lot going on like you know except for Dragon Age 2 <laughs> <laughs> so I can't it's, how do we it's keep coming back to this I have I have to do it now. No, I uh, need to stop. Um, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I think we've answered that question. Andy, any more, any more you want to throw into the pile? I, I don't know how any of those films explain why I like EDF so much. <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. often do it the other way, where I'll, I'll watch a film and I want to re- experience that mood more, so I'll find a mm. game that matches yeah. it. So after watching like yeah, like a Western, I want to feel the urge to play Red Dead. Yeah, exactly. Or after, every time I watch Lord of the Rings, I want to play a really... Like, be a RPG, so yeah, yeah, yeah. LA Confidential does send me back to what I know actually. Yeah, because yeah. I, I, yeah, I think I did exactly the same. I, I bought LA, LA Confidential on Blu-ray and watched it for the first time, and immediately went and played LA Noir afterwards and noticed that some of the sets are just copied. The oh yeah, like the the police. Oh yeah, yeah. HQ is completely the same as yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Like <clears throat> uh, yeah, um, 
Hmm, interesting. Good. I, I, I could definitely talk about that some more, actually, but like, uh, I have loads of other questions, so I'll quickly rattle through them. Potentially long and rambling question for the next pod. On the last Crate and Crowbar, they were talking about ruining your further enjoyment slash replayability of a game by choosing to play it in a certain way. The example they gave was Dishonored 2, is the ultimate non-lethal zero powers run first time round. Things that sprang to mind for me were playing Final Fantasy X, getting super into Blitzball and playing it until all my top player contracts expired, then giving up on the whole game because I couldn't go back and renew them. Also in Valkyria Chronicles, I was having loads of fun until I got pissed. Uh, does that say pissed? Sorry, it's like slightly weirdly uh, formatted text. Um, uh, I was having loads of fun until I got pissed off at being ranked poorly in every mission. Consequently, <coughs> starting aiming, uh, so I started aiming for top rank, but sucked all of the fun out of it and gave up. So the question I have is, have you had any experiences of ruining a game for yourself in a similar fashion? And on a, a related note, what are your thoughts on being ranked A to F in game missions? That's from Kongming. Uh, Kong yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I was trying to think of like I, I was trying to give like RPGs where I've picked a build and um, hated, mm. hated, really regretted doing it. And I think that was when I actually just and Dragon Age Origins is another example. I think. I don't think that being a rogue in that game is fun at all. And I really regretted just not being a warrior because most of bow and arrows you get, uh, so bows and crossbows you get early in that game are just rubbish. So it's not very rewarding and doesn't feel good to really fire in that game. And so I really regretted that. And the powers weren't very interesting either. So um, yeah, RPGs, I do that a lot actually where I think, oh, I really wish I'd put my points into this. Yeah, I think I slightly regretted being uh, whatever the sniper class is called in Mass Effect 1. Yeah. uh, Because fucking hell, that was difficult and a drag uh, <laughs> but I didn't re-roll I just sort of pushed on for it and for some reason it all worked out in Mass Effect 2 once um, they introduced like the sniper rifle that literally explodes a person's head yeah I used that most of the way through yeah goddamn, that build suddenly became quite a lot of fun yeah, mm, yeah. what about you Andy? Um, I do often uh, ruin games for myself by being too thorough on the early levels I think I did that with um I went back and replayed Dishonored 2 and I was being incredibly thorough. I wanted to see every little um, bit of story in it, find every note. And, mm. and, I, and I did that really thoroughly for four levels. And at the end of the screen, I had found everything apart from the coins because no one ever finds all the coins in Dishonored. But, um, and just by level five, I just felt like a bit exhausted. I'd exhausted myself by being too exhaustive. Yeah. So, yeah, I do that quite a lot with games. Like for Dishonored 1, I had to play it like one mission at a time over the period of months and months. Uh, just like play one level and do it really thoroughly and I had to go away yeah. and not play it for like a couple of weeks and then come back. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm ready for another. Yeah. I really enjoyed it, but like, yeah, it was a weird pace at which to experience in that I guess yeah. mm. trying to find all the bloody bone charms as well you're like I don't even want the bone charms <laughs> but i got to find them I won't use these but yeah. they're there <laughs> yeah. what I will say to Kong Ming as well is that I'm pretty sure there's only one Blitzball player you can't recruit um, later in the game and that is Lena who is at Makalania Temple because you can't go back there without fighting Shiva of and, course and so she'll van- Dark Shiva sorry and so she vanishes but that's it the rest of them are pretty much around the Besaid Oryx are on Besaid Island all of the Albed Sykes are on your airship that's where Wucker and Brother are. You know, know too much about Blitzball. <laughs> <laughs> I know way too much, yeah. Um, okay, and... As I, your rankings... Um, I, 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 always, I don't like rankings at the end of the levels because they make me feel like I've, I've done badly. I, I, just, I, I don't quite like care it. about it, I think. Like, yeah. um, I'm playing through Final Fantasy 15 here and there now, and there's, you get ranked after every combat encounter, and it's like... 
this is all just meaningless bullshit, what? and I don't care. And what does that second value even mean? Is it oh, finesse? Finesse. Finesse is literally like it seems to be just how many times you use like the special linking attack powers or whatever. So how many times you tell Gradio to go twat a thing with a sword? Oh, so that's why I was getting D's constantly. Yeah, if you I, just yeah, okay. if you just hold circle and do it because it's an easy fight against some shitting goblins or something. <laughs> shitting then, goblins, yeah. Then, then yeah, you don't you won't don't get much finesse for that. Yeah, I quite liked it in MGS five though, like um how an all stealth run could get you an A or an S. Like um Yeah, actually yeah, MGS five is that, quite yeah. quite good. I, I, because it does sort of feel like you failed a bit if you don't get the S yeah. rankings. It's like you, you sort of want to play it with the I guess um something like Hitman as well, where like it's entirely necessary because I think you need to have that high bar to set yourself. Because Hitman isn't—it's one of those games that's not difficult. Yeah. Uh, in any like, if you want to just meat and potatoes, get to your target, kill them. But to do it well, I think you need to be able to set yourself that challenge and have the game tell you, "Yeah, you did it. You did it the best. You were the best at doing a, a death." Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, I would say that's probably a good use of it. Also. Um, I, okay, I've, I've got three more questions, but I'm just going to ask one and save two for the next week, just because. Uh, these have been some quite weighty questions and we're almost out of time. Okay. Um, but uh, what game did you really enjoy playing that you would never have played if it wasn't for the fact that someone else told you that it was good? And why were you turned off that game in the first place? That's from S. Stickman. Um, and I'm sure that there are so- this. I'm sure there are some examples of this. I'm trying to think what they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's kind of because we're sort of our jobs as as being the ones that tell people things are good. If you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't feel like. I don't really feel like often I get. I feel like because we play so many games, I don't often feel like someone's goes. Oh, you've got to play this. It's like uh, most of the time I will have played it through work or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I can't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, games that I specifically would. I mean, like, I, I try to think what led to me playing Rocket League because that's not the sort of game I would normally play. But um, no, I can't. I can't Was play. it being free on PS Plus? It might have been. Yeah, actually, yeah. This is this is there. So I played Rocket League because I would never have played it, but I got it free with my Steam controller. Ah, right. Which incidentally I haven't used in over a year. My Steam <laughs> controller. It's not a great solution. I, I, I forced to, myself uh, yeah. to to try and get good at it, and it's just sort of left in the corner. But that's an, that's it, another subject for another. There was, <laughs> there was like definitely a buzz around Stardew Valley that I think led to me checking that out. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same because I've recently been playing that actually. And that's um, uh, yeah. I think like multiple people in the future I had to tell you to play Oxen Free multiple times. Yes, actually, yeah, Oxen Free is a very good example. Yeah, um, I had uh, yeah. It was just the point. People were at the point where it's a narrative game that you would love. So definitely get it played, and I'm glad I did. Um, I probably wouldn't go for multiple playthroughs of it, but I did. No, no, I don't think there's any need to really. But I did love the art style and the uh, the different ways that story could play out. That was, uh, yeah, it was a, a very good shout. You played that, Andy? Um, yeah, I reviewed it. You reviewed oh, yeah, that. of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, for Phil, I thought you had for some reason, yeah. but no. I think maybe Life is Strange is one that I didn't play for ages, and then so many people mentioned it that I played it, and now it's one of my favourite games. Wow, yeah. So that that was, I guess, that came from sensing a buzz about it yeah it's another one that people have been telling me to play specifically so yeah that's one uh, that maybe takes that maybe takes a while to get going at the start i remember it was about episode three where i suddenly became totally invested in it Mm, yeah and i'm I'm at the end of episode Mm. one which i did like but um it does get i mean it doesn't help that episode two is a bit garbage okay Mm. it's probably one of the weaker episodes um but the events sort of build up so that you get more invested in the stuff, and then more stuff become as at stake, and you just get yeah, it's quite an emotional ride. And by the end, I was I was floored by how how good it, how much I was you know emotionally invested in mm. it, which was good. 
Okay, great. Well, yeah, I should. Uh, I've got nothing else on apart from Resi, so I might. I might start uh, getting through that again. Um, Phil, any any you can think of? Uh, not really. Like I say, um, I don't know why I played Stardew Valley. So somebody must have said, "Oh, it was good." Okay. Uh, uh, so yeah, that was whoever whoever that was. I blame them for the forty hours I spent in that. <laughs> no, it was time well spent. Yeah, for <laughs> Relaxing sure. Relaxing time well spent. I guess. Um, Again, I can't remember who it was. I'd like it would have been someone on PC Gamer, possibly like Graham or Tim Stone or one of the old guys would have uh, first said, "Hey, Euro Truck Simulator Two is actually good." Yeah, because I would have not played that. Yeah, unless I think I played that as a. I think I've said this before, probably a million times in the mag, but I played it as a joke. Like we got, we used to get sent tons of simulator games, and I went, "Haha, Euro Truck Simulator." I once saw that for a laugh and write some dry tweets about it, mm. and then obviously the re- the realization that it's legit a good a great game. Yeah, yeah. hit me. So ah, that's yeah. that's a bunch of good examples. I think we got there in the end. We did it. Okay, cool. Well, that wraps that up. Then? Yeah, wraps up another podcast. Uh, let's think things to plug. We have a magazine out on the 9th of February with Mass Effect Andromeda on the cover. There's also a big feature on Pillars of Eternity 2, and uh, there's loads of other stuff I'd forgotten about. Oh, yeah, the part one of our complete history of RPGs. I think it's like a 16-page feature, 14 pages, something like that. And then the second part is in the following issue. There's Um, some great stories in that. I I read that recently, and there's some great stories in there about the old days of RPGs, including an old RPG that let you import your character from other games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Full of weird little um, bits of... uh, trivia like that so worth reading yeah for sure it's uh, comprehensive uh, and uh, yeah also uh, me and Sam dick about in space for yes, a bit we built a spaceship and space engineers and uh, flew that to the moon or tried to um, I won't spoil what happens but we it's talked very about exciting. that in the last podcast actually we did yes um, and then what's the other thing that we did the PC Gamer Weekender is coming up on February 18th and 19th um, oh, if you go to weekender.pcgamer.com you can buy tickets to join us at the Olympia in London yep. play loads of games see loads of dev presentations it's going to be good uh, I think that's everything. We'll be there, but we might be tired. Yes. If you want to leave us a, uh, a review on iTunes, go for it. That'd be lovely. Um, Phil, uh, the Discord channel, just one more plug for that. Discord.gg slash PC Gamer. Come to the UK podcast room and say hello. Yep. I'm going to join that after this podcast. Guaranteed. So if you want, if you Andy wanna, Kelly appearance. Yeah, I, I shall be there if you want to hurl abuse at me. <laughs> I said I said hello in there just because um, Phil had been slagging me off um, behind yep. my back. So uh, that was essential to do, I think. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week talking about I'm not sure what, but it will be something exciting relating to PC games. So uh, yes, uh, no pressure on us to (laughs) play some exciting things. Andy's about to play Take on Mars, I think. Yeah, Um, that's been coming out of early access. access. And we we didn't talk about SWAT Four, so we can talk about that as well. Oh yeah, because I've got a copy of that. So um, yes, we can uh, we can play that and discuss uh, the old uh, 2005 Irrational Classic. Just come to GOG. Some co-op. Yeah, that'd be good fun. Okay, cool. Yes, uh, see you next week.